Hey everybody, this is Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you to Dylan Hill, who is a, an incredible performer and human in the world. One to watch, I'll say. I'm excited to watch Dylan's career continue to unfold, but basically met and immediately knew I need to know this person and so great that we connected recently and I'm excited to continue our friendship conversation on this podcast. Um, I hope you'll enjoy it. We actually met at Dollywood. Uh, so Dylan is one of my Dollywood friends, which is true. I have a few friends, people I know over there and I uh, text them when I'm in town. It's like my rich people goal to go to Dollywood seasonally to like get to actually go a lot. I've, I've gone a lot. I have to say I've, for, as a person who only started going in 2014, I've been many times and I'm so fortunate and also more please. I love being there. I love the Smoky Mountains. I love Eastern Tennessee. Like I, it's just, it's such a tremendous special place in the world. Um, and I'm so glad I live where I live now, which is also a tremendous special place in the world. Um, but before we hop into the conversation with Dylan Hill, I just want to mention, uh, the best way to support this podcast is through my Patreon. I'm a 100% Patreon supported artist right now. Um, thanks to COVID. Uh, I'm so grateful I have the Patreon. Um, and I do this podcast. I also, create weekly online aerobics classes. Uh, Fat Kid Dance Party Aerobics is my class that I created. Um, basically for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness, if you've ever been called too fat, too much, or felt like you were too awkward to dance, this is the supportive class for you. It's sing-alongs, it's line dancing, it's fun choreography, it's super accessible. You can do any or all of it in a chair. You Minimum participation is just showing up and cheering along. It's really fun. And I think it really like opens something up for people. I've seen people, um, I'm doing a 12 week challenge, uh, over the next six months. If you do faculty dance party once a week for 12 weeks in a row and make a streak, I will give you a free t-shirt. It's like earning a trophy for just showing up for a thing. You could move or not move again. Minimum participation is just showing up and cheering along, but I've seen people who have come to my classes like every week for streaks really open up into new versions of themselves. And so if you, you can look at com slash testimonials. Like there, I just, it's, I was like, how am I going to measure the success of my aerobics if it's not weight loss? Cause that's what everyone does in fitness. Right. And I don't care if people lose weight. Um, I'm here to just like help them heal their relationship with their bodies and like maybe open up to their dreams a little more. Um, and it does, it does things for people. Um, I've had people get, promotions that they visualize for in class. I've had people like, you know, trust themselves to do new physical things. I've had people turn out to be complete jocks after taking my class and like go get into CrossFit and stuff. Um, and like, you know, there's just, and I have people who do Ironman who come to my class, like, and find a lot of value in it. So there, it's just, it meets you where you're at. It's a fun way to move. Um, it's all online because, <laughs> you know, coronavirus. And I do a weekly 11 a.m. Zoom class which is free for any level of my Patreon support. Um, on Saturday mornings, you can come and hang out and party. And we get to know each other a little bit for 10 minutes after class. It's really fun. I missed having classes with people. I missed having uh, the folks, you know, um, because I also was doing and continue to do this uh, weekly online class that I just upload, which has like way better music sound quality than a Zoom better mic than a zoom, even though it's the same mic, it's just different quality. And, um, and it's like, 
super fun and I film it in the woods. And so it's kind of like you're in the woods with me. Um, there's always six classes to choose from. I just keep adding classes. Um, there's a chair class that's just in a chair. That was a special request from a user. There's two full hour-ish long classes. There's a 45 minute class that's specifically repetitive, like easier on the body for people who are using cannabis. So it's a canna size class. Um, and then there's a 20 minute class for when you have 20 minutes to move and a 10 minute class for when you have 10 minutes to move. Uh, and usually like there's a, there's a good amount of stretching in there that I always try to keep it different. Um, but anyway, your streak can be either the on-demand classes from those six, uh, that I always have up, or it can be the zoom class. It's all included at the $25 a month level for all of those classes. But the zoom class is included at any level of the Patreon. And also I have a special podcast of many episodes just for y'all. I have updates that I only post in the Patreon. So if you, this work is of value to you and you want to support it, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash F-K-D-P, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party. And if you want to understand my aerobics, just imagine if Miss Piggy and Richard Simmons and Dolly Parton just like swirled together and became an aerobics instructor. That's me. Okay, I love you so much. I'm so glad you're tuning into this episode. Please imagine that you're on my front porch with me and Dylan Hill curled up in some beautiful wicker furniture. I want like your favorite scented candle going. I want you to imagine that it's like your childhood comfy blanket that you're snuggling with. And we're all together and we are having some tea and we are talking real talk on the porch. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here too. I feel like you're um, one of those people that I've met in the world and it was just like, you know how you meet people and it's always on your list like, oh, I want to get to know that person. And <laughs> I feel like that's been what we've done this week. It's been so great. I know. I feel like I know so much about you in such a short amount of time. Totally. Um, so I just want to say at the top of this, uh, for anybody who hasn't had the chance yet to see uh, me and Dylan on Dylan's Soul to Soul Conversations, um, you can catch that on Dylan's Instagram. Um, it's, I mean, just if you want to follow the course of this friendship linearly, you'll go back and watch that first. Um, and we talked about the battle of body image. It was such a good conversation, um, really mm -hmm. digging into the heart of, I think, what a lot of people really deal with, with their bodies. Yes, for so, sure. So glad that you provided that platform. Will you tell people the your Instagram as it's spelled out? Because there's an underscore, and I always want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, so it's the, you know, T-H-E, or the, I say the because I'm country, underscore, and then Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, and then my last name, Hill, H-I-L-L. -L, so the underscore Dylan Hill. Awesome. And it's part of a sort of broader, uh, I don't know, I want to call it like an art, an, a new artistic venue for a very multi-talented artist um, is just using <laughs> IG Live and having a, a real talk show where, we really, where you really dig into real stuff and not just fluff. 
which is kind of yeah. And I love that the live is in real time. So you, it, you know, it's like having a live audience. So you know whether people are enjoying what you're saying, or if they're not feeling it, or if they have questions about what you're talking about, they can ask you right there. So I really love the live platform. Yeah, totally. It's and it's so interactive too to do the live. Um, so today, so Dylan, I don't know if you know, but my podcast is just conversations with my wise friends sort of sharing their journeys and their stories and how they got um, where they are today and things they learned along that way. And I think you've had a very unusually packed life for someone who's only 26. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. How about you tell me about it? Tell us a little bit about like, like, give me like a kind of professional arc of your life because what you're doing now is obviously not what you have been doing and probably won't even be what you will be doing. I think you're such a multi-talented artist. Like, the world will continue to unfold what you have to offer. But tell us a little bit about like, because you had fame at an early age, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I local fame. I mean, I'm not like, you know, me and Angelina and Brad didn't hang out. Um, but I was known pretty well on a local level in my hometown of Lewisburg, North Carolina. And uh, I had a pretty rough, dysfunctional childhood. I was taken away from my mom when I was about six years old and went to live with uh, her mother, my paternal grandmother and step-grandfather. And I had always been naturally inclined to music. I loved music. I always wanted uh, CDs and uh I think cassette tapes were still a thing when I was little. And so I always wanted that for birthday and Christmas. And I loved for the radio to be blaring. And uh, just a, a quick little story about my mom. There was a lot of dysfunction there. But one of our happy times was that we bonded over music. And she was a huge Melissa Etheridge fan. And so some like good memories that I have of her is like a summer like evening driving down the road with the windows down and Melissa Etheridge blaring and when I was about I think 17 16 17 maybe even 18 somewhere in there I got to meet Melissa Etheridge and I got to tell her that story and so my mom had passed away at that point and so it felt like a full circle moment for me but so anyway music was always a big thing to me and when I got taken away and went to live with my grandmother I think she thought it would be a good idea to put me in something to take my mind off of what all was going on. So she put me in a Christmas play with the church and they, you know, they didn't know me. So they gave me just a small little speaking part. I think I had three lines in the whole play, <laughs> but one day during rehearsal, I was off in the corner singing to myself as I had always done all my life. That's kind of how I comforted myself was to just sing. And somebody said, Oh, you can sing. And you know, I'm like five or six and I'm like, well, I don't know that I can, but I do. And I like to. And so they gave me two solos in the Christmas play. And the night of the play, I stood up and I sang my solos and everybody stood up and clapped. And it was the first time I experienced an audience giving me applause. And it was in that moment that I knew, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, uh, from there, it kind of sparked being in a small town, other churches called and they would say, oh, will you come to a special? Um, then I started dancing with my local uh, dance school in Lewisburg. And so we did recitals and competitions. And so I was always either singing or dancing somewhere in, in my home county, whether it was a festival, a political fundraiser, um, you know, church outings, you name it. I mean, attractor pulls. I've, I've sung and danced at them all. <laughs> 
And uh, then at about 17, I went to Nashville. I signed a production contract um, with Dolly Parton's producer, Kent Wells. And I did uh, what they consider like an EP, which is like four to six songs, which has still never been released to this day. Um, oh, but I'm actually, yeah, but I'm in the works of, of releasing it. And uh, I'm, I've, I've got some stuff in the works. We're trying to do like a little docu-series type thing. And I want to release some, some of that unreleased stuff. Um, but anyway, I, I grew up singing country. And for those, this is a podcast, they can't see me. And those that don't know me, I am a, you know, a grown man in full hair and makeup and five inch high heels and long fingernails. And I wasn't sure that country was ready for someone like me, uh, even though everyone else in the business, all my friends and colleagues were like, no, like if any time is the time, it's now. And uh, you can be the one to tear down the door. Well, I just didn't feel like being the one to tear down the door, but I couldn't give up performing. So I started doing stand up at about 18. And I got really well known in the Raleigh, Durham area of North Carolina. And I did that. And around somewhere in my 20s, I decided that that just didn't fulfill me in the way that I wanted to fulfill myself and other people as a performer. And I decided I was going to go back to music and um, so I started writing and, and writing stuff for other artists and, and collaborating. And then now I'm doing Soul to Soul, which is like this um, deep conversation talk show type thing on Instagram that I literally had no expectations of ever doing, but it's fallen in my lap. So yes, as you said, there have been many different avenues. And there's one thing I've learned is to not uh, pinhole myself as, as one thing because you never know what's around the corner. Oh my goodness. That's so wise. And honestly, that's been something that, um, I, I'm 41 and that's something that I've only recently kind of come to embrace that like I'm multi-passionate and multi-talented and like, it doesn't really matter the outlet. What matters is the message. Um, you know, and I think we all kind of come to this planet. Like I really believe we're all born with like seeds of greatness within us. And like that one thing that's ours to create is, ours and doesn't get done if we don't do it and um I really believe that like we all have something special to bring and and not everyone's here for performing right like performers are our own little kind of <laughs> special creature because <laughs> um, like not if some people like I, it's one of people's biggest fears is getting on stage bigger than death is the fear of public speaking, which I find fascinating. I have a way easier time getting on stage in front of thousands of people than I do <laughs> talking one-on-one -on -one with a stranger. <laughs> same, same, same. <laughs> so that's like, I mean, part of like, we were just talking about this before we started recording, but part of why I'm doing so much connecting with people I don't know online, like in these one-on-one -on -one ways, is I'm determined to get out of quarantine with my social anxiety gone and like really just... Mm. You know, I was an only child growing up. I did not have, we moved a lot. And so like all of that chaos was really hard for me to like learn how to connect with people. And so it's never too late to learn that stuff. And, um, and I, I'm a pretty good connector anyway, but like, you know, it's just different. Like my stepmom was always running around making friends with strangers and it terrified me. I was like, what? You're talking to someone at the grocery store? You know what I mean? <laughs> And like, but then now I realize late in life, I'm like, oh, that's just, she's a good person. You know, she really cares about other people. Like that was, it was a good thing that she did. So anyway, um, but yeah, like finding See, and I can do that. I can talk to anyone 
-hmm. But my, my issue is that I've learned as a performer, I go into performer mode. Mm -hmm. So I control the narrative and I give people what I call their five minutes. And, you know, I know like all the things to say to have an interesting conversation and I can do it when forced to, but you know, if I had the choice, I just want to be at home by myself. <laughs> well, that's all. I mean, yeah, that's totally about like how you recharge. Um, Dylan, what are some things that you do when you're home to recharge yourself and nourish yourself? Well, I get up at ungodly hours. Um, I'm usually up every day anywhere between like three to 5 a.m. And I immediately have to have coffee. I'm so I'm a morning person in the sense that I want to be up early, but I'm not I don't want to be up early and talk to you. <laughs> um so I like to have my coffee, I like to have my prayer time. I like to read a chapter or so of like whatever book I'm currently reading. I usually watch the news around 7 when that comes on. So I recharge by just being completely by myself, knowing that no one else is around. I'm usually not in hair and makeup. And for those who know me know I do not leave the house. If I'm not in full hair and makeup, nobody sees me torn down as I call it. Um, and so that's just, that's my me time. That's how I recharge, knowing that I don't have to look or be anything for anybody. I can just sit in my bed with my coffee and my book and just, just be. Mm. Oh, I love that. That's so, that does sound really nourishing. And it also, like, I, I really relate to, I can't deal with people first thing in the morning. Um, when I lived in New York, I had a roommate, as adults do in New York, they have roommates. Um, and I would have to tell my roommate, who, she's polyamorous, she had a lot of dates, I had no judgment about it, but I did say, you have to tell everyone who's sleeping in this apartment that I do not interact first thing in the morning, I'm grumpy. <laughs> I don't want to talk to people. So like, please, because I don't, I like, it's like, there's part of me that's like, a consummate hostess. I want people to feel comfortable in my home. But also there's part of me that's like, I can't talk to anyone until I'm like set and centered. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Tell your booty calls not to dial my number in the morning. <laughs> exactly. I will, I will wave and I will get my coffee and I will go back to my room. <laughs> so See, and I struggle with that when I'm out in public. Like when I run into people or people come up to me and they know me, but I don't know them. I feel so bad because even if it's a day where I'm just like so low on energy, mm -hmm. I force myself to give to that person who's in front of me because I just think that the worst thing in the world is to be a performer and have somebody come up to you and want that interaction. And then, you know, you're not nice or you don't give them your best and then they walk away completely disappointed. And so, but on the same token, like it's, it's healthy for us to go I really don't want to be bothered today. So I've learned to just stay at home on those days. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I think that's totally right. And I also like, I mean, you and I have bonded a lot about talking about God. And I really think that like when people come across your path, it's God, you know, it's, it may be God working through you, maybe God working through them. It may be God working through both of us, but like there's something, cause we each, we all have that in us to connect and like being willing to be step outside of yourself and your circumstances and rise to the occasion of, I'm going to make this connection with this person, but then also recognizing if you don't have it to give, that's not the day you go out and you like, right. you manage your home because your home is your sanctuary. I think quarantine is teaching us that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> By a long shot. Um, 
can you tell me more like what it was like growing up for you like in the south and and maybe a little bit about how you connected with your because uh, you have chosen family in tennessee but you live in north carolina yeah well you know it's so funny like um i feel like when people are like where do you live i'm like ever-changing address because i'm i'm constantly i'm either in North Carolina for a week, and then I may be in Nashville, Tennessee for a week, and then I'll trickle down to East Tennessee and have some stuff there I need to do. Um, I just spent like the last four weeks in Tennessee back and forth between like Sevierville and Nashville. Um, then I stopped in Asheville on the way back here to um, Lewisburg. So it's ever changing. Um, but growing up in a small town, I mean, it, it had its pros and its cons. I mean, you you know, when you grow up in a small town and you you only have those people that you know, you don't really know anything beyond that. But if you're a dreamer like I was, I was constantly wanting to know what was beyond that. Um, and I was lucky, you know, I know many people in this town that grew up like me that were quote unquote different. And I feel like I had an easier time because I was a performer. Mm -hmm. um, it was on, you know, because I think in our culture, you know, it's like socially acceptable if you're gay and you're either a hairdresser or you're a performer. You know, there's there's certain career paths and walks of life that people kind of go, okay, you know, like that's fine. You have your lane, you do your thing. We'll just go along with it. Um, I did get picked on a lot as a child. Um, you know, I was called all of the the names, you know, I don't even know if we can say them on the podcast or not. Oh, my um, podcast is literally anything goes. You can say it all. Trigger warning. We're going to say some names. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I got called a uh, homo, fag, fairy, ballerina because I danced, which was funny because I didn't even do ballet. I did everything else. Um, and, uh, and then of course I was a chubby kid. So not only was I the gay kid, I was the fat gay kid. Uh -huh. um, but as I got older, I... I have a very blunt personality and I'm very much like if I don't like where you got it, I can tell you where to put it type of person. And so I learned that my sharp tongue was like my biggest defense. Mm -hmm. um, I knew how to, I wasn't going to hurt anybody else for the sake of hurting them. I wasn't going to be a bully, but if you came and you messed with me, I had no problem putting you in your place and possibly making you feel worse about yourself than you could ever make me feel. Mm -hmm. And so that did kind of like teach people to, to back off of me. Um, I think as I became a teenager, cause I started wearing makeup around like 14, 15, that was a little bit of a challenge. That was kind of shocking to people because you know, we're not, boys don't wear makeup. That's not a thing. But all my childhood, my whole life, I had wanted to be like the glamorous person that I am today. I remember when I got old enough for my grandmother to leave me at the house while she went and got groceries, I'd run in her closet and I'd put on her high heels and her clip-on earrings from the 80s. And, <laughs> and you know, she was a, a beautician most of her adult life. So she had all the hair accessories. And even as a little child, I would put rollers in her hair. And I lived vicariously through those moments. Um, I loved to put makeup on all my, my girl, friends and my sister and, and cousins and uh that's how I I got to express that part of myself as a child but then as a teenager I was like you know screw it I'm gonna look the way I want to look and I think people had a lot of judgment um but one of the good things about the south is some people are really brave and they'll call you these things to your face but for the most part they'll smile and give you a bless your heart and go on about their business and so 
that's mostly what I dealt with. There was a lot of whispers about me behind closed doors, but what's funny is as I, as my career grew and I started achieving certain things as a performer, all of these people come out of the woodworks and they want to change the narrative and change the story of, you know, I always supported you and I always had your back and, oh, I stood up for you when you weren't around. And I'm like, yeah, sure you did. But you know, we'll take this picture and act like that's the story. (laughs) Oh my God. So true. It's so funny how this is something that I wish I could go back and tell my younger self, but like people often, almost always forget the nasty things they said to you. Um, but that's the thing you'll never forget. You know what I mean? Like you just like you, I, and, and also some of the bullies that I experienced as a child, like are faded into the woodwork. I have no idea who they are, what their names are. Right. But like some people, you remember that nasty thing and we give that nasty thing so much more power than that person does. It's so, it's really interesting. Like the more I get into the psychology of like, bullying and like what that means it's like all we talked about this on the body image chat but like hurt people hurt people and like people who are wielding their weapons like I totally I really relate to figuring out how to wheel being a smart person right who's like you know it's like there's a great joke like um did you have a happy childhood or are you funny because like (laughs) it's the way like we learn to cope especially especially if you grow up fat and queer like you were such an outsider that you had to figure out how to endear people. And so developing a sense of humor and a rapport with people, whether that be a rapport that makes them like you and want to be around you because you're funny or a rapport that makes them realize they don't want to fuck with you because you're going to tell them the truth about themselves and it's going to hurt. And like, (laughs) I totally, yeah, I I had both and it just depended (laughs) on which day on the, which ones I used. But you also, I think, when you're different and you not only do you use humor to cope, but you have this thought process of I'm going to make the joke about me before they can. And it gives me the power. Yeah. And you know, what's so funny is like, we think it gives us the power in that social circumstance, but actually our words and what we say about ourselves is some of the most powerful medicine we have. So when you're saying stuff that tears yourself down, it's really hurting you more than it's endearing other people to you. So it's like got this, like this kind of, I don't know, this nastiness that like kind of cycles out of it that hurts us more than it helps us. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you like, I don't know. It, it seems like something you must have really deeply wanted to wear makeup, to show up at school at 14 years old, wearing makeup. Like, tell me more about like what kind of got you brave enough to make that choice and to try that out. Um, well, I think it was just you know, I, I got taken away from my mom when I was six. She ended up dying when I was 16. The grandmother that I went to live with most of my childhood died when I was 13. I spent a year, a year and a half between two godmothers, both fell out. And then by almost 15 years old, I had moved back into my childhood home and I was living by myself basically every day because my step-grandfather who I was technically in his custody. He drove long distance truck driving. So for two weeks at a time, I'd be in this house completely by myself. So I really wasn't parented by anyone other than myself. So I got to make the rules, but I woke up one day and decided like, I want to be happy. And if looking like this is going to make me happy, I'm going to do it. And as far as where I found the guts to do it, I think it was just, what are you going to do to me that hasn't already been done? You know, I, I've literally survived 
all of these things, you know, I really don't give a fuck what you think about me because you have no idea what I've survived, you know? And so if me wearing some makeup truly bothers you, oh, well, you know, there's been a lot in my life that bothered me that I couldn't really do anything about. I just had to survive. So you're going to have to find some way to survive me walking through the halls, you know, in hair and makeup. Oh my goodness. Were people ever violent with you at school? Um, uh, there was like two occasions where people tried to um, get physical with me, but I ended up kicking their ass. <laughs> um, I actually got suspended from school for two weeks one time for knocking somebody upside the head. Um, so yeah, I'm, you know, but that's another thing too that goes back to my childhood. I, there was physical abuse in my childhood and when you grow up having things done to you that were outside of, of you permitting it to be done, mm -hmm. you get older and you have this mentality of no one is going to do anything to me that I don't want done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, which meant if you put your hands on me, I'm probably going to kick your ass. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I just figured, cause I don't know, I didn't grow up in the South, but from what I know, it's, uh, there's a lot of um, hard knocks. I don't know from 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 what I hear, but I there there is and and I think there is and I think that um, it probably still is a case for some people. I think it probably might have been a little bit worse for maybe generations before me. Mm -hmm. um, but again, the the entertainer thing has always been like this great crutch. Um, I just, I've always been able to talk my way out of anything. And what I find to be so odd, even those closest to me come up and they say, Dylan, it doesn't make any sense. People who, who don't like people like you love you for some reason. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand that. I've never been able to really make sense of it. And I, I wish that I had some great like philosophical answer for you, but I just, you know, people tell me I have a charming personality. I don't know if it's that, but for some reason, you know, and I don't, I can't win everybody over. I'm not saying that, but there are a lot of people that I've come in contact with that generally, you know, do not like my kind mm. that for some reason love me. Like I have like some huge like redneck fans that will like come to my shows and I don't know I think it's because I don't I don't judge them for being different you know even if your belief systems oppose mine you know even if you don't agree with my lifestyle I may not agree with yours I just don't judge people in that way I very much have this thing about me like I just live and let live mm -hmm. um, I think as long as you're not trying to hurt me and you're not trying to hurt anybody else I don't care about the specifics and so I think because of that, people are just are accepting of me. I don't push an agenda. I know a lot of people in the LGBTQ community that they do carry that hurt from what's been done to them because they haven't been accepted. So they're very much like in your face, like this is who I am and you're gonna accept it. And I just come from a different place. My, you know, my philosophy is this is who I am. You either like it or you don't, but I'm still gonna continue to be who I am. And I think that kind of puzzles a lot of people and they're just like, huh good for you. Okay. Well, you do you and I'll do me. So I don't know. I, I very much acknowledge my life growing up could have been way worse as far as the bullying and, and school and, and looking the way that I look. 
Um, but to be quite honest with you, I really got hit on more by a lot of the guys <laughs> that would, should have been bullying me, you know, privately, of course, they would have never admitted that like publicly, but yeah, I mean, I remember having to go to the principal's office because there was this one like big redneck dude who was all the time grabbing my ass. And, you know, so I don't know. I, I really don't. I wish I could figure out what the formula is to why people kind of just let me do me, but they do. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Dylan, here's the real question. Um, do you know much about your astrological chart? Um, yes and no. So I am a Scorpio, November 11th. Um, and I'm a true Scorpio from everything that I looked up. Now, like the sun and the moon risings and stuff, I know Capricorn is one of them, which um, people tend to tell me that's where like my drive and my like always trying to achieve comes from. And uh, so, yeah, I know, I know a little bit. I don't, you could probably tell me more. But. Oh, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll get your birth date and, uh, <laughs> and location. I'll look up your chart and tell you why people love you. Um, cause it's true. There is some sort of like, sometimes there's really a charisma you have that is very disarming to people. And like, and then part of it is like cultivating it, right? Like being funny and like how you interact with folks. And also like, I, I also really relate to like, not really caring so much about other people, like minding your own business. It's like a very low drama way to live. And like, it's something, that's something I didn't come to naturally. I had to really learn how to not, to really let go of my control over anything and just be in my space and like trust that that's that's the path I'm supposed to be on um did you go to college or did you skip that and get right into entertainment no so <clears throat> funny story about just my schooling in general I actually transferred out of public school the beginning of my sophomore year and transferred to online school and I ended up finishing like a year early because I knew I wanted to go to Nashville I wanted to be a star, you know, and uh, so that's what I was pursuing. So when most of the people in my class were graduating and applying for college, I was in the studio working on an album. Um, now, granted, they all have their degrees now and making money, and my album is still <laughs> released, so do what you will with that. <laughs> Show biz. Also, like all those people with degrees also probably aren't working in the field they studied, and they probably carry all the debt plus interest. Because it's, you know, exactly. not, it's degrees, just these days, degrees are not worth what they were worth in the 70s and 80s, right? Like degrees used to be a passport to actually really making coin. And now degrees are maybe useful, but I think what's more useful in this information age is to have tools and resources to create money. Either that's like having a trade or if it's like developing something or I don't know. Creating a hustle. Yeah, exactly. Creating your hustle, getting into your zone of genius and, um, and all of that. And also it's so showbiz to have worked so hard and created because making an album is hard. It's so much work. Like people do not understand. It's not just show up and sing. It's, it's so much that goes into it. And like to have something not released is just so showbiz. <laughs> I have so many great <laughs> projects that it's like, oh, I spent a week filming this aerobic series that never got released you know like yes it, it just is what it's show is <laughs> tell me yep. what's well, like oh no no tell say oh, what you're just to piggyback up what you just said about how like that works in show business we talked about this um last week um not on the the show but 
I've I've literally been a part of like three different reality pitches in the uh, TV shows in the course of my life. And you put you invest so much and you get all worked up and you're like, oh, this is going to be that big break. This is going to be that moment. And then they don't get picked up by the network. And uh, you're embarrassed to tell everyone that you've told, you know, that you've been working on these shows and that, uh, yeah, it didn't get picked up. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Or the worst, which is, has also happened to you where someone you were supposed to be on the show with suddenly decides they don't want to be on the show. And then the whole show gets pitched. Um, (laughs) And to you. (laughs) Yeah. That's happened twice for me. (laughs) It's so hard. Like, I mean, you know, I, it is, I think everything is meant to happen as it's meant to happen, but like in showbiz, there's just stuff, you know, it's just, and it's all part of the process. I think that's, an acceptance that I've had to come to as like, and also kind of why I'm a little obsessed with like DIY because I'm a Capricorn and I'm going to release it whether or not someone else approves it or not. Don't wait for permission. Just do the thing that's on your heart to do. We have so much available to us these days with like technology and and connection and all of that. Um, I would love to hear like how you kind of created your chosen family, like kind of really abandoned by biological family, both like by circumstance and by, by, uh, you know, their own traumas and things like that. But I'm curious, like how you, you rolled into that performer family and, and what it means to you to have chosen family. Yeah. Um, so growing up, I always felt like the black sheet of my family because I had, I had dreams and aspirations that nobody in my family had previously had. Um, I'm also like the only musical person in my family. So it wasn't like I had cousins or uncles or anybody that, that did the kind of things I did or were interested in the things that I was interested in. And even my friend group, like, you know, yeah, I danced with all these other people who danced, but you know, their dream was not to, to go off and be a professional entertainer. This is just what they like to do as a hobby. And then they were going to go to college when they graduated and so on and so forth. Um, so when I turned, 17 and I started going to Nashville and I was working on the album I knew that I needed to well actually I didn't know this I was told this I sat down with a meeting with um with Kent the producer and he was like look you're gonna have to move out here and you know if there's one thing about this industry you have to put all your eggs into one basket and I was like okay so at 18 I take up all the money that I can get and I move out to Nashville I stay there for a month and I was like, this is not working out. I was living out of a hotel, like one of those extended stay type places and money was just like dwindling fast. I knew that if I went down to East Tennessee, which was three hours east of Nashville, there was a family from the church that I grew up in that were, would let me stay on their couch for a while till I got on my feet. And they were only gonna charge me like 75 bucks a week or something. And so I was like, well, I'll just do that. And then I'll make my trips on the weekend to Nashville. And so I did that. I trickled down to East Tennessee. I got a job. Um, it was my very first like real job at a mellow mushroom. And I was not allowed to be all dolled up. I had to wear like very bare minimum. That was really the first time I faced like discrimination was in, in a workplace. They were like, yeah, you can't look like that. And so I was like, okay. And uh, it was at that mellow mushroom that I met um, someone that I basically consider like my sister now and we just kind of hit it off and it was really one of those things where we just kept running into each other socially like in public places and then I went to um uh, the place where she works she's a performer as well and didn't realize like 
who this person was and they were a performer and I was like oh my god like you're a performer too and so we kind of connected on that and then slowly I met her sister um who I really became close to because we were both Scorpios and we were just almost like the exact same person it was kind of scary um and then from there like she just they kind of introduced me to the rest of their family and here I was in Tennessee like I really didn't didn't have anybody I ended up getting kicked out of the house that I was staying at from the people from church and I went into like living into another hotel for a while and then times got so tough that I was living in my car at one point and I I was working as a makeup artist I had left the job at Mellow Mushroom became a makeup artist and would literally like sleep in my car go to work at the makeup place put and like wash in the employee bathroom and like put my makeup on there and uh, just over time, my relationship grew with my Tennessee family. And they were like, look, like, you don't need to struggle like this. You can, you can be my roommate. And so it just kind of grew from there. And like 10 years later, here we are. Oh, that's so great. How do you keep those, keep nourishing those relationships? Yeah. Uh, oh. Repeat that. I'm sorry. I didn't oh, we're you. having, we're having a weird lag. Okay. I was just going to say like, with chosen family, how do you nourish those relationships? Because I think a lot of folks out there are very isolated and like maybe don't understand what it means to really have chosen family that you, you, because they, they, when you have blood, you kind of almost can't get away from folks, right? But like when you don't have blood, you have to right. choose. And so I'm curious, like what your, what it means to have chosen family for you. Yeah. So, um, I think my situation is a little bit um, like of an, uh, a very like special circumstance because that relationship with my biological family just, one, so many of them have died. Two, I don't really get along with a lot of them, so we don't speak anyway. So it, it really comes from the place of my chosen family became like my real like only family. And so I just, I went into it treating them as if they were my blood and they treat me as if I'm their blood. And I think, you know, when you know, like, these are the people that I have. And if I don't have them, if I don't nourish these relationships, if I'm not loyal and committed and trustworthy and honest and, you know, give back what I get, I'm not going to have anybody. I'm going to be completely by myself. And I know what that's like. You know, I, I was living in that hotel and then in my car and didn't have anybody to depend on. and was too proud, you know, too proud to go back to North Carolina and tell people that I had failed at my dreams. And uh, so I just, for me, it's, it's really been a special circumstance. It's not been one of those things where if I turned my back on my chosen family, I was going to still have my blood family to go back to. That's not to say that my blood family doesn't, you know, reach out occasionally. And in, I think there are a couple people that would be there for me if I really, really needed them, but there's just, they're really not there to go back to. You know, so I, I learned that if I wanted family, if I wanted those bonds and relationships, I was going to have to put in the work, but that's, you know, I personally think with anybody that's the case, whether it's blood family, chosen family, friends, relation, you know, intimate relationships, you have to put in what you, what you're getting. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, it's work. Every relationship is work. And I think people don't, I think people see it as optional, but as human beings, I think it's actually the most important that we have. Like 
You know, my grandmother, um, I was so privileged to get to be with her um, the last year of her life. I lived in LA and she was in Palm Springs and, um, and she, she didn't get sick till the very end, but like, like the last three months of her life. So, and that's exactly what she wanted. She wanted it to, to be fast, but I noticed like she was an accomplished career woman, ultimately, like from having been like a single mom, um, with like four kids an immigrant to the country from Canada. It's not like total, it's a different immigrant experience, but still immigrant and like trying to figure all that stuff out. But in the end, the thing that mattered the most to her were her family like it was the people and the relationships and that really stuck with me I was like wow and you hear this from rich people all the time that like relationships are the most important things in in the end and I'm like I've really been kind of digging into that more since she passed away like how much and how we create these and how we sustain chosen family because I've had folks who were like chosen family to me and then ended up kind of just fizzling and like those connections just we're for a season, not for a lifetime. And, and then I have people who are like, literally like siblings to me who we've been friends for 20 years, you know? So it's, it's really interesting just to think about like how we create and curate these family relationships and things like that. I think I got lucky because my, like my, my chosen family is a family of performers. And so I went from a family that didn't really understand what it is that I do, what my dreams were to a family that totally got it. You know, that's what they actively do. And so I think when you find what we call our tribe, when you find your tribe of people who, you know, who think the way you think and, you know, who've been down that road that you're walking, you know, it's, it's a different story. You know, I, I had spent really all of my childhood never feeling like I belonged, always searching for that place where I fit in. And I think with my chosen family, I kind of, I kind of feel like I've, I found my tribe where I I fit in. I'm like, these people get me. Yeah. And it's so hard to be so different that you don't actually fit in anywhere. So you got to find people who the belonging is just kind of inherent. Yes. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's when you find that that's sacred and that's something to cultivate and work on. And like when you have conflict, you, you stick in there and you work through it and figure out how to love each other through that. Yeah. And I think knowing that it's sacred, I think if you, if you are spiritually and emotionally mature enough to understand that you have something sacred, you automatically are inclined to nourish it and maintain it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love this. This is such a good conversation, Dylan. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, you got into makeup as a teenager. So how were you like, cause I, I'll tell you this, I'm this old. There were no YouTube tutorials when I was learning how to do makeup. I had to learn it on the streets from my friends. So how did you like learn makeup and like what's some indispensable part of your makeup routine? (laughs) Yeah, well, if there were uh, tutorials when I started wearing it, I was not aware of it. So needless to say, I spent many years looking like a fool and probably still look like a fool to some folks. (laughs) <laughs> I think you can make um, Well, thank you. Um, yeah, so I always tell people that I, I like looking like a streetwalker. And one of my uh, lines that I love to say to people is, I'm living proof that you can look like a streetwalker and still love the Lord. And um, so, you know, for me, it's just, I love, I've heard um, Dolly Parton say that when she started wearing makeup, that she'd like, put so much of it on 
And then she got comfortable with it that she was just like, oh, I like how this looks. And that's how like the over-exaggerated look became. And it's kind of the same for me. When I moved to Tennessee, I was finally allowed to like really delve into the makeup and I could look however I wanted. And I was working as a makeup artist. And so I think that was about 18. The the look went into like overdrive of like full glam. And so I was doing like really dark, like big smoky eyes and so much blush and you know, I've, I'm now at a place where I still wear a ton of makeup, but I've learned how to do it in a way that I don't completely look like a clown. Um, so for me, I just, like, I have to have foundation and concealer. I, like, I like full coverage, you know, I want to look like I've been airbrushed. Um, another staple for me is like a nude pinky lip. Um, and then my, I guess you'd say my cat eyeliner and my lashes that's a big staple and then a smoky eye um pretty much ever since I started wearing makeup it's always been a smoky eye I've just changed the colors through the years oh that's real and your eyebrows are incredible Wait, that's so funny everybody always compliments my eyebrows and it's girl struggle bus it has taken me all these years up until 26 years old to figure out how to do my brows the way that I like them. And it's still like the one thing in my makeup routine that sometimes takes me the longest is trying to get them to get them right. And I, I've said for years that I was going to do like the microblading and have them tattooed on. But I also know that as I get older, I'm going to age as gracefully as the doctor will let me. And so I'm a little bit scared what my eyebrows might look like when they've been lifted three times. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, microblading is a game changer for people who have done it. But also I think like if you're not if you're willing to do a full face every day, you're not saving time if you're microblading, you know? So I think microblading is good if you're more of a natural babe. Um, I'm curious, do you wear strip lashes or do you get your lashes done? So I wear strip lashes only because I really, you know, if I'm at home, I like to take everything off at night. I sleep better that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes depending on what I'm doing, I change the lash. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I do have, a brand and type of lashes that are pretty much wear every day. Please um, it's, well, I actually got this from, um, from Jada star. Um, she told me about them and I guess they're like dupes of like what Kim Kardashian wears, but they're the brand Christina and it's number 43 and you can order them from Amazon. So that is my go-to lash. Um, but they are strips. Um, and I take them off every night and I can usually get enough use. I can wear them, I can wear one pair like every three to four days, mainly because I don't, I don't really coat them with mascara. I coat my natural lashes with a good amount of mascara. And then I just kind of place the falsies on top. Yeah, totally. I'll say this. I've never gotten lashes done because I learned how to wear lashes while doing drag. And I had to get ready so fast um, that like I learned under the gun how to get lashes on looking 90% okay. Like I, I think <laughs> you go for perfection. I go for like, what's going to look good in a photo and that's, that's where we stop. So. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. like, if I can do my lashes so fast, I don't think I really need to get them done. You know, I'm the same way. I mean, believe it or not, putting on lashes is like the quickest step out of my makeup and people come up to me all the time and they're like, Oh, teach me how to put on lashes. I just can't do it. And I'm like, really? Like that's the quickest part of my routine. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like putting in contacts. Like when you first start wearing contact lenses, it takes forever to get them in. And then eventually you are like, it's an unconscious thing. It's part of your routine. And so I think that's yeah, muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Do you have anything like coming up that's exciting for you that you want to talk about? Um, well, I'm still doing Soul to Soul every week on my Instagram. That's uh, live on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. And I just got the idea. I think I'm going to start filming some behind the scenes footage of that. So I'm going to show people, um, you know, how I prepare every Sunday. And um, I think I'm going to start recording some of the briefings that I do with my guests who come on and just a little bit more content about my day-to-day -day life. Um, because it's, it's very odd to be someone who has, you know, sort of been in the public eye most of my life. I, I keep a lot to myself. I'm a very private person and it's, it's very odd. I feel like people think that they know everything about me, but I'm extremely private and so much so that I think sometimes it stunts my growth as a performer. And so I'm learning how to share more and, and, you know, be more vulnerable. People are all the time wanting me to do like a closet tour, you know, and, you know, open up more about just my day-to-day -day life and my traveling and so I want to do that um I have a few theories in the work that is going to follow my new music that I want to release and that was supposed to be in production like right now but then corona happened and you know the world kind of shut down there so I'm hoping to get that started back up um but as of right now my main project is just doing soul to soul every week oh, I love it I'm so glad that you're existing in the world. I truly can't wait for your docu-series. I feel like the the life and times of Dylan is uh, very exciting. Um, also, like, it's very Scorpio of you to have people believe they know a lot about you and to actually keep a lot, <laughs> a lot behind the wall. I'm sort of opposite of you. So I have a Capricorn sun, but I'm a Scorpio moon and Venus. So like the way I feel and interact with people is very Scorpio. It's like you go right in for the deep small talk is bullshit. Like you just, you want to really know people. Um, <laughs> yes. The funnest thing about being a Scorpio is like really knowing people, but then actual Scorpios, especially Scorpio sons, keep so much behind the wall. It's like swimming in a sea of secrets, but you don't know if, unless you understand the mind of a Scorpio, you don't know how much you don't know. <laughs> yes, I know. I was actually thinking about that. I was, I had to run some errands this morning and I do a lot of thinking and praying. Um, I do my most thinking and praying when I am either up really early in the morning, having like my me time or sitting in my vanity, putting on my makeup or driving. And so today I was driving and I was thinking about that. And, you know, it's, what's funny is like, again, growing up in a small town, everybody knew me from performing and everybody knew like the dysfunction of my family and all the things that had happened to me. But what I find odd is like, they know the generalization of those things. They don't know the intimate details. And I've always kept that locked up to myself. Like I, you know, I think if you grow up kind of in the spotlight on any level, you kind of feel like people own a part of you. And so I save a lot of my private life for me. Like I've never shared my um, my dating life. Anytime I've been in a relationship, I don't really share that publicly. And but now I'm learning like not only can I not heal when I don't tell my truth, but I can't help other people when I don't tell my story. And so really like Soul to Soul has helped me break out of that. Like on episode two, I I got teary eyed about you know a personal story, and I would have never done that before. Like one, I don't like to cry. Like hello Scorpio, I don't do emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Not publicly, at least. I'm a mess behind closed doors. Um, but I'm, you know, Soul to Soul has taught me to, to, to release that wall a little bit.
and like tell my story and it's okay. Like I'm not, I'm not giving myself away by telling my story. I'm actually helping other people on their journey. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, before we go, do you have any advice that you would give to your 19 year old self? Oh, um, probably breathe and surrender. Mm. Surrender the need to know how everything is going to play out and to control every moment because it's, you're in for a wild ride kid. Surrender the pain and the hurt and the wounds that you've been carrying because you need to heal them. They're not going to serve you well by holding on to them. And then lastly, surrender that little tiny part of you that is still left that wants to be accepted and understood by everybody because you're never going to be. And exactly what you have been called to do in this world is going to require you to throw all of the societal norms and boundaries out and be your true authentic self. So surrender that, you know, if somebody could have told me at 19 to just surrender all of the things that I was like trying to hold on to, I'd probably be further in my life than I am at, you know, this current age. So just surrender. That's so good. I wish... I'm like trying to think of how my 19 year old self would have received that advice. She wouldn't have it, it heard it. It would have gone way oh, over. Please. It would have been like surrender control. What? No way. Yeah. <laughs> my 19 year old self would have told my 26 year old self to go piss up a rope. <laughs> I would have been like, you're not talking to me. I don't understand. <laughs> my goodness. Dylan Hill, you are a delight and a charm and a magic maker. I'm so glad you're in this world. I'm so glad that you're just like taking off your masks one at a time, getting more vulnerable so other people can heal and connect with your story and how you've healed and continue to heal. And I hear you reading those Brene Brown books. (laughs) Yes. Thank you again so much for having me. And, And truth be told, it's having conversations with people like you that helped me learn, helped me grow, and actually helped me see the results of, of being vulnerable and opening up. So I thank you for giving me these opportunities. Oh, yay.